Hello everyone and welcome back to the Rowdy Buddhist. I uh, hope you all are doing very well today. I, you know, once again, this podcast is what I'm trying to do is share some of the information that I've learned and been able to sift through um, as a Western Buddhist uh, in understanding Buddhism in, a, you know, in accordance with what I was raised in or what I was uh, part of my culture, etc., and, and to be able to understand what it means to be a Buddhist practitioner within that context. Because a lot of times we have to be able to reform or reinvestigate our belief systems all the way down to the nitty-gritty. Which a lot of people, when they adapt to Buddhism, simply don't do that. They just put on the guise of Buddhism that they believe is through meditation and mindfulness. And they believe that's the practice of Buddhism. However, it is not. The practice of Buddhism is actually a... Uh, a holistic system that encapsulates every aspect of your life because the ultimate goal is not necessary to you know endow one with religion or with spirituality etc those are of course uh, aspects of it but the ultimate goal of course is as portrayed in the Lotus Sutra chapter 16 Jigage the Buddha's true purpose and only intention is to come and to share with us uh, teaching so that we may quickly attain enlightenment and to remove ourselves from suffering. So one of the challenges that we may have is because, again, most people, we use what we understand and we compare and contrast. So sometimes, like for instance, as I was studying Chinese medicine, uh, it was very different because in the West we're looking at the physical, such as when we think about the body, we think about the physiology, right? The bones, the flesh, the organs, etc. But in the East, they may use similar terms. However, it's referring to energy. And uh, that took me a very long time to be able to understand within that uh, realm or thought of energy and, and to look to things rather than just physically, right? And the same has to go with how we look at concepts in Buddhism. So, a lot of times in Western culture, they have the idea of Satan, uh, of course, something evil, something that is looking to destroy humanity or destroy each person to bring them to their ruin. And in Buddhism, a lot of people uh, we may think that there is a character or a deva uh, named Mara, which if you watch the movie Little Buddha... Mara is seen almost like as the devil in the way that that story was written uh, in that he's constantly challenging the Buddha. And it's interesting uh, because that is actually a mistaken view. So I, I just want to give a little bit of background because in reading the Makashikan, it specifically talks, again, we want to think Mara as, uh, you know, in the Western sense, as a living thing, like uh, Satan being a living person rather than the conceptual idea or a, a negative energy, right, which would be the more Eastern way of thinking it. But this character of Mara, now just if you haven't watched Little Buddha, basically the way it is is that when the Buddha finally, as Siddhartha before he becomes the Buddha, decides and is inspired to find the middle way, and then he sits beneath the Bodhi tree to attain enlightenment. He vows not to move, uh, even though his bones and sinews may snap and break, uh, and he may result in dying. He's not going to move until he attains the highest level of awakening. Of course, there is a character named Mara who sees this and is quite 
uh, troubled by it because he believes that this is uh, perhaps the downfall of his empire. Uh, that, you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, being able to lead people into a desireful realm, you know, amongst suffering, uh, to basically have them give up to attain enlightenment, that's his basic goal. And uh, without that, his realm can't exist or function or, or be prosperous. So he makes it his, uh, as a kind of deva, which is kind of a living spirit type being or, or energy, uh, decides to interfere with Siddhartha's practice and study. So, of course, you see him in the movie sending the army, sending, of course, the first thing, desire, sending the, the daughters that represent the desires, then sending an army which represents fear. And then he himself approaching after Siddhartha is able to understand the reality of uh, these attacks that are within his own mind, within his own consciousness, Mara shows up as Mara and sits right in front of the Buddha. But actually, he presents himself as the Buddha himself in the kind of glorious body that if we, you know, if we all got a beautiful golden suntan and we all were young and beautiful and handsome looking, you know, whatever we decide is our most elegant, most spiritual uh, view, if we could get that, uh, if we could attain that, sitting in front of that, we might become somewhat distracted that we've attained something or that we are something, such as that the body or the image or the even the uh, aura of the Buddha is, is the enlightenment. But Mara kind of uh, duplicates Siddhartha and sits in front of him as this magnificent being who just uh, overcame desire and fear, etc. And Mara asks and says, well, you you kind of gives him a compliment, kind of build him up where most of us would be like, yeah. He says, well, you've gone somewhere no one has gone before. And most of us will go, yeah, I have, haven't I? At that moment, that's where the fall happens, right? And the next thing he asks is, will you be my God? And at that moment, uh, that is him challenging with the ultimate idea of self or ego. And Siddhartha, of course, says, you, you are just an illusion. Uh, I bear no witness. Uh, the earth is my witness. And, and of course, I'll go into the actual discussion where, where Mara asks him, because it's a little different than how it's written, but he uses the earth as his witness. And then Mara transforms into this little kind of um, heavy, kind of dark, kind of gray man uh, that looks kind of sniveling and then disappears, right? So that's the idea of this uh, kind of, you know, distraction. So now a lot of people, if you came from a Western society, you may say, well, that sure as heck sounds like the devil. Uh, you know, the idea that he was an angel, that, you know, fallen, etc. And it's important to understand that I, I'm going to give you a little bit of background so perhaps you can understand the, the concept of Mara. So also it's important to understand that Buddhism looks at the idea of evil quite differently, right? So, uh, you know, the idea of that the devil is evil forever and can't change his ways is, is not in the same concept uh, as Buddhism. Evil is an ignorant state of mind where it causes suffering 
etc. Right. So the word Mara itself means murderer. And the reason why they use this word murderer is that actually, even though the murdering of the body is, is extremely severe, this is because it robs a practitioner of the treasure of merit, which means they then waste that merit through ignorance or desire, and kills the life of wisdom. Okay, so if one has gained any merit, uh, Mara, through desires, etc., remove that merit and, and cause it to be extinguished, and then also killing the idea of wisdom. That means coming to any kind of awareness of reality as it is. The Buddha leads beings to liberation, but Mara destroys the good roots. The good roots are actually like, for instance, meeting the Dharma. The Lotus Sutra talks about it all the time. The good roots of the practitioner are that you had the opportunity to meet the Dharma. That's very rare. And of course, roots mean <laughs> perhaps from another existence. And the Lotus Sutra states that if you are able to practice the Lotus Sutra, it means that you've met it in the past, so therefore you have good roots. So, but Mara destroys the good roots of all beings and causes them to drift forever in the cycle of samsara. And there are actually four kinds of Maras, which is actually kind of presented in that story. The four kinds of Mara are passionate afflictions, the five skandhas, death, and demonic spirits. And even the idea when I say demonic spirits, perhaps people don't understand. I'll do a segment on that after uh, because Buddhism has this idea of states of mind that are in themselves seen as demonic. Because again, the purpose, as we see in chapter 16, is to cause all living beings to attain enlightenment. All right, however that may be. That's the Buddha's purpose. And that it seems like everything else even knowingly or unknowingly, are causing us to go the opposite way uh, and to lose our good roots, to cut our merit, to lose our merits and cut our, our um, life of wisdom. So a little bit of background about Mara. So actually, uh, there is a cult in, Mar in uh, India, which even if you look at Kishibojin, it was uh, a deity that had its own following at one time. Uh, it was actually a uh, agricultural deity uh, concerning uh, farming, etc., harvest. And actually, Kishibojin had a uh, pair with a male representation. If you go to the museum of, I think, the London Museum, they have some original statues of Kishibojin. And the same is the idea with Mara. So Mara is actually seen as, actually has to do with agriculture as well, like most uh, ancient cultures have to do, you know, because their survival was banked on the idea of one would have a harvest or not, right? So, uh, actually, Mara is actually a kind of uh, deity of drought. It's actually kind of the Sanskrit meaning would mean from drought comes uh, death, right? Because that's why it's called the murderer. Because with, without eating is a very basic staple one cannot practice the way. So this idea that if one doesn't cultivate correctly, and again, this is the metaphor with the idea of planting seeds, cultivation, drought is by far the most scariest thing for any kind of uh, farmer, 
right or any kind of uh you know creator of uh planting etc based on drought because drought means that there is no energy no water and immediately everything whether we have the ability or not dries up and dies so mara was seen as such but mara is not like this low being it's actually a deva a deva is kind of like between human and and spiritual realm in a way a deva and it's the realm of desire, because again, that goes back to the first one, uh, the idea of the four kinds of Mara. The first one's passionate afflictions, because even in Buddhism, the idea of basic passionate afflictions, whereas we see in the movie, the daughters of Mara dancing around the, the Buddha being beautiful women and uh, wanting to distract uh, the Buddha from his uh, practice. Then is kind of then you see the impermanence when they fall to the ground as Mara becomes angry, and uh, they turn into leaves and disintegrate before his eyes. So, Mara is actually this realm of desire within ourselves, and in the uh, in Buddhism, the realm of desire, of course, is the heavenly realm. Uh, in the in the high idea of desire, then you have the course instinctual desire, which is the realm of animals. But the idea that desires that we use and in place desires into our mind as our uh, way of dealing with things. That's why when we first come to Buddhism, everything is uh, actually we are addicts. We're addicts of desires. We're addicts of suffering. We've chosen that over the path of liberation. So until we realize how wonderful experientially the path of liberation is, it's very hard to make that change. And therefore, in a way, Mara is running our life. Um, and, and we're gladfully employing him uh, to murder and cut our good roots and kill our life of wisdom, keeping us far away. So, and it's interesting because I had an experience with someone who had become a Buddhist and they had a visit from a local priest. And the priest, of course, uh, didn't particularly know much about Buddhism, maybe in a uh, university sense, probably studied a religious class. But he, of course, uh, didn't agree with Buddhism and considered it an evil practice. And it was interesting because the the person speaking was very gentle and, and uh, simple person, but they had a very profound view where they looked at the priest and they, they, they kind of negated everything he was saying and not listening and, and, and was concerned about the devil. And he looked at the, the, the priest and said, well, what about the devil? What, what are you doing with the devil here? Um, are you allowing him to uh, attain enlightenment? Can he attain enlightenment? They said, no, he's a fallen angel. And he goes, well, if you were able to educate and teach the, the devil to change his ways, then perhaps your whole idea of uh, the end of the world and and people being led away, etc., would be would be taken care of because he seems to be the main part of your problem. And and what I bring that up with is that the idea that the unchangeable nature of that. But in Buddhism, evil is just one aspect of all of our minds, including the Buddha. And that evil is when we turn turn away from goodness, wholesomeness. That's the idea of enlightenment and wisdom. And instead, uh, go to a more base realm, a more base stance of desire, uh, etc. Which again is how most people express themselves, is through desire. So Mara in itself is just the realm of desire in which we decide to live. 
So that's why Buddhism is seen as a path, because ultimately one chooses the path of Mara, and therefore I, I don't know anything, I don't know historically if they have any information about what the rituals were. But probably the rituals were uh, making Mara quiet and patient, because again, Mara is the idea of drought. And if you were to have drought, then everyone would die. But in our sense, the idea of the murderer, it's a much more severe. And this word murderer shows the context of how important it is. Because it's not someone who just you don't like. Mara is not a nice guy, not a nice person, not a nice energy, whatever you want to call it. But murderer means it actually kills. And what that means is that it, it they use the idea of ichantika, someone's, uh, the Buddha nature seed we all talk about, that has been dried or in some way burnt beyond the ability to grow. But as I explained before, you know, with the concept of the lotus flower seed, there was a, a physical representation that there was a group of people called the Tolkarians. And the Tolkarians was kind of a race that is specific in uh, China. And they uh, basically... Uh, were practitioners of Buddhism and, and believers. And, and that's probably where the Lotus Sutra kind of originated and became collected. And uh, they were buried with lotus seeds. And one Japanese uh, professor uh, was able to get one of these lotus seeds. And of course, that was in the middle of the desert. So with the lotus seeds, they wondered if, if it was able to grow, if it was able to, uh, you know, grow the plant, if it put into the correct causes and conditions. Would it grow, even though it had been in the desert for over a thousand years? And sure enough, when he returned to Japan, he put it in the correct causes and conditions, the mud, etc. And, and the lotus flower grew, even though it had been kind of dormant for a thousand years. That's the idea in Buddhism, that even though the seed, and, and again, some sutras talk about the Ichantika, but the lotus sutra talks that the seed is never fully burnt, uh, that it just needs the correct causes and conditions to grow. So, what I what I want to do with this particular podcast uh, and this lecture is to let you go in and do some more studying about the idea of Mara and, and the Buddhist concepts in general. And that when you look at it, try to see it more from an energetic or chi or chi or energy uh, aspect rather than um, just in the physical manifestation. Uh, because if if you if you need to run your life by that, it'd be very difficult to understand the spiritual realm and how it's uh, applied to the physical realm. And I think uh, Buddhism does that extremely well uh, in its actual practice and study. So the ultimate point of this lecture is to that Mara is in fact uh, when we murder our own Buddha nature by deciding that desires are the attainment, right? And and just one last thing, the story of Mara as it's written in the older sutras as compared to the Buddhist, the little Buddha story, which I wanted to clear up. Basically, Mara is sitting there and, and he basically says, well, who's going to vouch for you? And behind him is this very scary army of all these, uh, in the movie Little Buddha, all these black-clad, fire-type scary smoke you know, huge armies, as far as the eye can see. And basically, they assured that Mara's way was the correct way. 
who's going to vouch for you? Because a long time ago in ancient teachings, you had to have a guru or someone who vouched for you. And that was another thing that was interesting about the Buddha. He did it without a guru, uh, which is rather, he had gurus at the beginning of his practice, but ultimately he, he was able to attain a higher level of awakening without a guru, which is very unusual. Uh, and so that is why Mara threatens him and goes, well, who's vouching for you? Who's vouching that this enlightenment of yours, this awakening is even credi uh, credible? And that's when the Buddha says, I, I have the earth as my witness. And then the earth itself, which is seen as a living thing, answers back and says, I witness this. That's the earth-touching, earth-confirming Buddha statue that you'll see. I actually think that that's a pretty cool way of thinking about it as well. Because we use, the way I look at that that uh, manifestation of that story is that the Buddha is looking at reality as it is, as his uh, identifying factor, his confirmation of his enlightenment, how it works within this world, within this earth. And that's why he didn't point up to the sky. You see some athletes pointing up to the sky. Um, which means something, but he touched the earth, which is a very important concept within the Lotus Sutra because the concept or idea that one can attain Buddhahood in this lifetime, here and now, and that this this place, this world, is actually the pure land of the Buddha. So that's where that story of Mara takes us. And uh, I hope you'll do some more studying on your own. Of course, if you have any questions, please give me um, an email. And I'll be happy to talk to you a little more. So thank you, everyone, for taking the time to listen to this podcast. And again, for your wonderful support. Namu myoho renge kyo.